feel, well, there's no point. There's no point thinking about the end because, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. But we can. We can because we're not just the main character in our story. We're the writer. You know, it's up to us how our stories will end to a large extent. And so today we come to the end of Job's story. If you've been with us over the past 14 sessions, you'll know it all started really well. But then he lost everything. He suffered terribly. But now this final chapter, chapter 42, is a, it's a fairy tale ending with Job living happily ever after. What does this final chapter have to teach us? There's only one place in the New Testament where Job is mentioned by name, and we had it in our first reading. So Job, uh, sorry, James chapter 5, verse 11. And this is what it says. I'll read it again. It says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So I put that on the sheet there in the grey box. And that's what we can look at now in this final chapter The perseverance of Job, firstly, and then secondly, the purpose of the Lord. So first, the perseverance of Job. We're going to reflect on four aspects, you'll see, of uh, his perseverance that we've seen in this book. And then when we look at God's purpose, we'll focus in a bit more on the details of this final chapter. But number one, persevere in being godly. Persevere in being godly. Job was a man of integrity from start to finish. Back in chapter 1, God commended him as my servant Job. God said of him, he is a blameless and upright man who fears God and he turns away from evil. That was 1 verse 8. We saw in chapters 29 and 31, we got an insight into what his righteous life looked like. And it's pretty impressive. It was a joined up life. Sexual purity, social justice, true worship, radical generosity, Impressive life. When he lost everything, his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? That was back in 2.9. And he did. He did. He kept going. And now right at the end of the book, here in 42 verse 7, God commends him again. So 42.7, he says, he's my servant Job. And we just read that Job prayed for his friends. These friends who had been such miserable comforters, such tormentors to him, Job prayed for them. What a man. Job is the model believer. He was a man who had faith in God, and he lived out this faith in God consistently in a righteous life. He persevered in this this through some terrible dark days, and he kept going right to the end. Now, in this, Job foreshadows Jesus, who lived the perfect righteous life. But Job is also a model for us as believers, In the the first Rocky film, uh, Rocky's preparing for his big match, his big boxing match up against Apollo Creed. And he says to his girlfriend at one point, he says, I just want to go the distance. And that should be our ambition if we are believers, followers of Jesus today. Our ambition should be, I want to go the distance. I want to keep going right to the end. And not just keep going, but we want to win, don't we? So we want to keep going in a life of obedient faith, keep pursuing godliness right to the very end. As Paul would later say to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, he'd say, train yourself for godliness. Set the uh, the believers an example in speech, 
in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. That should be our ambition. The other week, uh, another church leadership scandal hit the headlines. And you just read this stuff and think, not again, not again. Another one bites the dust. Sadly, the all too familiar story. And by contrast, it's such a relief to read uh, the tributes to Pastor Tim Keller, who died last week. No skeletons, no scandals. No people coming forward with stories about, you know, the real man behind the public figure. And, you know, hopefully that will continue to be the case. Kevin DeYoung, who knew him well, uh, he wrote this. He said the most lasting lesson from from Tim, Tim Keller's life, the most lasting lesson is Tim Keller's life. So he said his books will last a long time. Likely so will the church he pastored and the ministries he helped to start. But in these days, immediately following his death, he said, I suspect what you'll hear most is Tim's life, his life of heartfelt faith and sincere devotion. He loved Jesus. He loved the Bible. He loved his wife, Kathy. He loved his children. He kept the main thing the main thing. He wasn't a jerk. He wasn't a prima donna. He was enjoyable to be around. He was full of the fruit of the Spirit. He was ready for heaven. That's a good life. That's a Christian life. And that was Job's life, and may it be our lives as well. How will we make sure we end well? Well, we'll end well if we commit today to living this kind of life in the power of the Spirit, and then we get up, and we do the same tomorrow, and the next day, and so on. Number two, he's an example of persevering in enduring suffering. So James 5.10 says, As an example of suffering and patience, take the prophets. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. So Job is a model of patient perseverance in the face of suffering. This guy went through terrible suffering, as we've seen. He lost everything, his wealth, his family, his health, but he persevered in obedient faith. And he then suffered at the hands of his three friends who tormented him, but he persevered in faith. And at the end of the book, we meet a man who is still persevering in faith in spite of everything he's been through. In this, Job foreshadows Jesus, who's the ultimate suffering servant. He kept going in faith through terrible suffering, And in this, Job is also a model for us. It's been said, if you live long enough, you will suffer. If you haven't already, you'll experience that. Most people do. I mean, it's an inescapable part, isn't it, of life in a fallen world. But Christians especially do, because they suffer as well for following Jesus as they fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Will we press on in obedient faith in the face of suffering? Or will we give up? Will we drift off? Will we fall away? There was a Christian of centuries past called Teresa of Avila. And she went through a period of depression and darkness. And towards the end of it, she claimed she had a vision of God in which God said to her, 
this is how I treat my friends. To which she said, it's not surprising you have so few. The book of Job reveals how God treats his friends. And in fact, that's the title of one commentary on the book of Job. And there is no reason to expect that God will treat any of us very differently if we belong to Christ. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. It's normal. We should expect it. And it means we need endurance. As Hebrews 10.36 says, you have need of endurance. Enduring suffering is especially difficult when we, we can't see any point to it. It's especially difficult then when, we, when it doesn't make sense to us why we're going through this. But that was Job's experience. That was exactly his experience. He never got any answers. He never knew why God had allowed him to suffer as he did. But he persevered in faith. Elizabeth Elliot, is that a name that means anything to you? Um, missionary, someone who suffered a lot in her life. Her first husband was speared to death with four other missionaries when they basically landed and they tried to make contact with the Alka Indians in Ecuador. She went back there with her young daughter and she lived among the people who had killed her husband. And she lived among them to share the gospel with them. She subsequently remarried. Uh, Her second husband died four years later. And her ten final years of life were a a battle with dementia. She went through a lot. But as she looked back over her life, she wrote this. She said, God is God. And if he is God, he is worthy of my worship and my service, and I will find rest nowhere but in his will. And that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably, beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. Now, Job would have said amen to that. Number three, Job is an example of perseverance in resisting Satan. Last week, we heard, that, uh, we heard God describing Satan as a terrifying monster. And the sufferings that Job experienced were the work of this monster, Satan, who was trying to destroy him and destroy his faith and was trying to turn him against God. Now, Job didn't know this, but it was this hellish monster who was attacking him, but Job persevered in the battle. In this, Job foreshadows Jesus. Uh, So when you get to Revelation 12, it describes how the devil, uh, as a dragon, pictures as a dragon, was trying to devour the Christ child when he was born. Satan then attacked him with temptations at the, the beginning of his ministry. Satan incited Judas to betray him, and on it goes. And these are just a few glimpses of Satan's lifelong onslaught against Jesus. And what was true for Job and true for Jesus is true for us as well, that if you are a follower of Jesus, Satan has declared war on you. The monster is after you. You are on his radar, you are in his sights. 
So Jesus told his disciples, Luke 22, he said, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. Revelation 12, 12 says, Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. It says the dragon became furious, and he went off to make war on those who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so we need to persevere in fighting the good fight. Satan is defeated, and he is full of rage. And so every day we need to take up the whole armour of God. We saw that in Ephesians 6 a few weeks ago. The devil doesn't take bank holidays. Okay? He doesn't take bank holidays. He's on duty 24-7, 365. So let's fight with the spiritual weapons God has given us. Faith, prayer, the word of God, godly living, fellowship, and so on. We've got a a baptism service coming up uh, mid-June. And uh, in that service, we'll be saying to those who get get baptized, we'll say the following words to them. Fight valiantly as a disciple of Christ against sin, the world, and the devil. And remain faithful to Christ till the end of your life. That's what we'll say to them. And that was said to each of us at our baptisms, if you've been baptized. And so the question is, are we still fighting valiantly, as we promised we'd do? Are we feeling beaten down? Are we feeling weary? Well, as the old hymn says, onward Christian soldier. Let's go to war. Trust in God's promise. In James 4, 7, the promise is, resist the devil, and what will happen? He will flee from you. And number four, Job is an example of perseverance in knowing God. In 42.7 here, God says to one of the three friends, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. God says that Job spoke rightly of him. But he didn't. He didn't, did he? So Job crossed the line. We've seen that in previous weeks. He accused God of wrongdoing. And in fact, God said to him, just back a page in chapter 40, verse 8, 40, verse 8, God said to Job, will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? That's exactly what Job had been doing. So how come God now says in 42.7 that Job spoke rightly of him? There's two options. One is, Job did did speak rightly of God in the end. So in 42, 1 to 6, um, he saw God as he really is. And because he repented, we can assume that God forgave him for not speaking rightly about him before. Maybe that's what God means here. That's option one. Option two is, there is another possibility. Maybe God says that Job spoke rightly of him, even when he didn't, because God... God knew Job's heart. So God knew that Job loved him and that Job never gave up on him. So even in his darkest days, his darkest moments, his deepest struggles, Job didn't walk away from God. Instead, what was his heart's desire? It was he desperately wanted to meet God. 
He wanted to see him. He wanted to talk with him and argue his case with him. And so he remained God's servant from start to finish. He never stopped believing in God, never stopped talking to God, never stopped longing for God. Now in that, Job contrasts, I think, with the friends, because the friends had a sort of belief system, but doesn't seem to be much personal relationship with God. And in this, Job foreshadows Jesus, the one who cried out to his father throughout his life and in the deepest darkness. And in this, Job is a model for us. So we are to pursue relationship with God, knowing him, even in the darkest times in our lives. So even when we don't understand, even when life doesn't make sense, don't give up on God. Keep crying out to him, keep looking to him, keep longing for him. It's like in marriage, isn't it? Marriages, any marriage goes through difficult times when the relationship is strained, but you work things out if you're committed to each other. And it's the same with God, that we need to keep going through the hard times. And it can actually be in those hard times that we are forced to draw closer to God and we get to know God better. So Elizabeth Elliot, who I mentioned, she wrote this. She said, The deepest things that I've learned in my own life have come from the deepest suffering. And out of the deepest waters and the hottest fires have come the deepest things I know about God. So in his perseverance, Job is a model to us. James 5.11 says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. So we've seen how he persevered in being godly, in enduring suffering, in resisting Satan, and in knowing God. But that verse in the grey box there on your sheet from James 5, it continues, and, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And we might think, really? I mean, where do you see that in Job's story? In what way was God's purpose in Job's life compassionate and merciful? It certainly didn't seem like that to Job. I mean, to Job, it felt like God was being cruel to him. But it's about, it's about perspective, isn't it? It's about perspective. Imagine for a moment that you're a toddler again. One day, your dad takes you to some big building in the city you've never been to before. And he hands you over to some stranger who gets out some huge, scary needle and sticks it in your arm. And it hurts. And you start crying. And you think, why would my dad let this stranger cause me such pain? You see, as a toddler, you cannot possibly understand that that is a loving thing for your ultimate good that your father is doing. So the injection is to protect you. And so we're like the toddlers, aren't we? And we need to trust that our Heavenly Father's purpose for us is good and loving, even when we don't get it, when we don't understand When Tim Keller announced his cancer diagnosis back in 2021, he said this, It is endlessly comforting to have a God who is both infinitely more wise and more loving than I am. He has plenty of good reasons for everything he does and allows that I cannot know, and therein is my hope and strength. Now, in Job's case, in this final chapter, we get to see something of what God's purpose was. And I put down three things on the sheet. Firstly, to humble him. 
Job had been the greatest of all the peoples of the East. That was 1 verse 3. Fabulously wealthy, hugely successful. And in allowing all that to be taken away, God brought Job very low. Now, it doesn't say, it does not say that before Job was proud. It doesn't say that. But the way, God res- uh, sorry, the way Job responded to God when he did suffer, it showed that although he was a godly man, he still had some things to learn. And Job recognizes that himself, doesn't he, here in 42, 1 to 6. Uh, we saw when we looked at this last week that he now saw how great God is in verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And he now saw himself as he is, how small he is. Verse 6, he says, I now despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Those were really, really important truths for Job to learn. And he could only have learned them through suffering. And so it was merciful of God to allow Job to be brought low, that he might learn these lessons. And it's the same for us. That God's loving purpose ultimately is that we would see him as he is and see ourselves as we are. His purpose is that we would bow before him and we would trust in him and we would lean on him more. And so the most loving thing God can do for us is to humble us, is to allow us to be brought low in life through failure, through disappointment, through setbacks, through disasters, through things not working out. This is actually essential for spiritual life and spiritual health and growth. I mean, isn't it true that when everything goes well in life, when it's just one long success story, we so easily become proud and we make God quite small and we make ourselves quite big and spiritually, that's disaster. Now, God loves us too much to allow that to happen. Hebrews 2.10 says that even Jesus himself was made perfect through suffering. In his book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer has a chapter called Inward Trials. And he ends it with a hymn by John Newton. And in the final verse of that hymn, God says this. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set you free and break your schemes of earthly joy that you may seek your all in me. Second loving purpose of God was to justify Job or vindicate Job. That is to to show Job to be in the right with him. Job's friends had been uh, wrongly accusing him. Job's friends had been saying, "Uh, God's punishing you for your sins. That wasn't the case. But now God vindicates Job before the friends. He declares Job to be his servant who is in the right with him. So in verse 7, he says to the friends, you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And God then tells them to offer sacrifices for their sins and he then says in verse 8, my servant Job shall pray for you. And at the end of verse 9, the Lord accepted Job's prayer. What an honour that must have been for Job to be vindicated by God like that at the end of the story. So God vindicates Job before his friends and he vindicates him before Satan. Do you remember Satan had accused Job of being just a fair-weather believer? But God has proved Satan wrong. 
God allowed this suffering to show Job to be an all-weather believer, not a fair-weather believer. And so God's loving purpose is to vindicate us too. His purpose is to show to everyone, if we're believers, that we are in the right with him and to prove that we have a genuine faith. And so God allows suffering in our lives. So that as 1 Peter 1.7 says, the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, God will take the person who is in Christ and God will declare before the whole world and before the spiritual powers, this person is in the right with me. This person who was rejected by you is my servant, whom I love and delight in and honour, just as God did with Jesus himself. Now, the fact that we have already been justified by faith, as Romans 5.1 says, it means that God has already made that declaration about us, even before we get there. Thirdly, God's loving purpose was to bless Job. So verse 10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. In verse 11, there's a big party in his house, gets his brothers, his sisters together, and his friends. Verse 12 says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. So God now gives him double everything he had before, double the livestock he had before. Verses 13 to 15, God again gives him seven sons and three stunningly beautiful daughters. It's interesting, it's not double the number of children. So all the livestock are doubled, but the children aren't. just gets the same number again. It may be, speculating, it may be hinting that his first children who died were still alive with God in heaven. Maybe hinting at that. And then in verses 16 to 17, Job lives another 140 years. So again, it's double the normal three score and ten. And it ends saying, Job died an old man and full of days. God's loving purpose was to bless Job, and it is to bless us. What was the first thing that God did when he created Adam and Eve? Genesis 1.28, he blessed them. He blessed them. And then in Genesis 12.3, God promised Abraham that he said, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's fulfilled in the gospel. Galatians 3.9 quotes that. And it tells us this blessing is ours when we trust in Christ. And so so now in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1.3. But notice it's every spiritual blessing. So the material blessing that Job enjoyed and enjoyed again as an Old Testament believer, that is not promised to us as New Testament believers in the here and now, in this life. Instead, what Job experienced here foreshadows what will be ours in the age to come. Just as it says here, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, so the Lord will bless us more in the age to come than now. Blessing in the new heaven, the new earth. They will be even more real 
and physical than what Job enjoyed at the end of his life. Remember how the Bible story begins in a garden with a serpent? Where does it end? It ends with something even better. A garden city without the serpent. And so the future of our stories will be even better for those who are in Christ. Now, if we're not those in Christ, the future of our stories will be infinitely worse, unimaginably so. And that is why it's so urgent we turn to him while there is still time. But just as Jesus suffered and then was raised to new life and to blessing, so those in Christ will follow that same arc, that same trajectory. And that's why James 5.7 says, be patient. He says, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. Because that is when we will experience restoration and double blessing. And so we need to hold on tightly to this hope that we have in Christ, the hope that for those in Christ, there will be an ultimate fairy tale ending to our stories. There will be a, they lived happily ever after, but literally forever after. So our stories will not end, rather beyond the grave, a new chapter will begin. You may have read uh, that when Tim Keller died, he was alone with his wife, Kathy, he'd been married for 48 years. He kissed her on the forehead, and his last words were, there's no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Why did he say that? Because he knew his story wasn't ending there. He knew the best was yet to come. But for those left behind, it's pretty hard, isn't it? And for all of us in this life, there will be challenges, and there'll be heartaches, and there'll be sadness. But the God who held on to Job is the God who will hold on to us and he will fulfill his loving purpose for us. Elizabeth Elliot, uh, who I mentioned, the missionary who suffered so much, she hosted a daily radio program for 13 years and it was called Gateway to Joy. And she began every episode, every day, with the same words. She said, you are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Well, let's pause for a moment to reflect on what we've heard. And then we're going to join in and pray together.